Welcome back to 7 Seconds or More, episode 13. Hopefully it's not an unlucky 13. We almost lined it up. It's Tuesday, June 14th when recording this. Almost had it lined up 13 and 14, not quite. Shoot. Shoulda, coulda, woulda, huh? It just didn't work out. <laughs> but a lot to cover because after last episode, it was seriously tied 1-1. Now, <laughs> it's going to sound like we're just going to be reacting to last game. Going to try to talk a little bit about what happened in games three and four in Boston, in which the Celtics and Warriors split those games. But to sort of catch everyone up, in case you haven't been following game three in Boston, Boston had their foot on the pedal, basically led wire to wire, mm-hmm. save for, I believe it was at 83-82. The Warriors took a lead as well as 2 nothing. I believe those were the only... Warriors leads of the game, game four in Boston as well. Stephen Curry went oh, superhuman. Devastating. He had around 43 points, if around that number, if I'm correct. Yeah, low 40s for sure. Yeah. Shot the lights out. And then godly. Game five, he broke his long active streak of getting a three in each game. He didn't yeah, score it was a single like three. 30 game playoff streak of multiple threes in a game. Since like 2017, that he didn't score a three or something. Uncanny. Like that. Yeah. Every time, like, and I've still got like the Steph Curry three trauma from watching him all series now. As when Mike Breen's like, Steph Curry for three. And I'm like, oh God, it's going in. It's going to be the backbreaker. And then each time I thought, I'm like, oh, geez, here it comes. And it yeah. didn't happen. Like, However, regardless, of the, regardless no. of the drought, um, you know, the Baines oh, went to the Wiggins, and the Warriors were able to win Game Five regardless. Yeah, you are you're oh, on the money there, oh, man. So, sort of the the damning numbers if you're a Celtics fan here. Uh, so, basically, oh. uh, if I, if I could sum it up in how to lose a game in three stats or less, I have it here: <laughs> Boston, ten missed free throws, eighteen turnovers, oh. and two technical oh. fouls. Some very inexcusable oh, stuff. Now, I do want to preface this because I know we are, I said this the other day to our friend of the show, Sean, that either we are the most biased NBA pod or the least biased Celtics pod. So you can uh, make your call there. Take that as you will. But I do want to give credit where credit's due to the Warriors because, uh, yeah, again, like I've been saying, a lot of... The conversation in Boston has been that the only team better than Boston is is themselves and the way they shoot themselves in the foot, either by sloppy turnovers or mm-hmm. carelessness or a stagnant offense. But I think the Warriors have done a incredible job in speeding Boston up and not letting them get to their pace and disrupting their flow. I don't have the exact yeah. exact stats in front of me, but the games with the slower pace have all been run, won by Boston, and the games with a faster pace hmm, have been won really? by Golden State. It doesn't surprise me when you think about it, because if there's what? a faster game, that means more transition offense. Golden State's lethal mm-hmm. in transition, and when they're lethal in transition, that means Boston's missing shots. If it's a slower game, Boston's making their shots, and that means they can get back in a half-court defense where the Golden State offense is a lot mm-hmm. less effective. I was just about to say, yeah, that makes total sense because say what you will about Golden State, but the Boston defense has been doing good and good job in the half court, preventing them from getting a lot of their points. But my God, and then credit to Golden State for getting those 
those transition buckets because what that means is they're playing great defense too. And people forget that they talk about the Celtics defense all the time being best defense in the league. And like Golden State was like number two, you know, they're fabulous. They they made opponents, I believe, I read a stat, force thirteen or fourteen turnovers a game on like for some stretch, maybe on the year. I forget what what it is. Not gonna know you're the stats guy, but like it was like when Boston's at eighteen a game in the playoffs now or something like that. And yeah. Golden State's been making these turnovers happen. It's only four more careless turnovers if if you want to say it's Boston beating themselves, you know? Which as if I don my green tinted glasses I, I, I would be saying, but oh man. Yeah. yeah. One thing I found very interesting mm-hmm. in the past couple of games, um, is just the way they're playing Jason Tatum and the way Jason Tatum is reacting. Because oh, if you remember yeah. in last night's game, uh, the Celtics had like oh, eight God. threes in a row at some point, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. The difference then was when Jason got double teamed, instead of turning it over, he passed to wide open Marcus, wide open Al. And then, okay, the Warriors caught on. They stopped double teaming him. Too much space for Jason, and he'd get the three. And then all of a sudden, like Tatum, he's being selfish. Uh, because all those missed shots, it's not like extremely selfish, but it's a little selfish because he's trying to get himself going instead of keeping keep on doing what's working. Because when he gets doubled, that's when he's been getting frustrated and having those uncharacteristic turnovers, which is hiking up, getting to the eighteen turnovers there. So I I, I'd be interested yeah. to see if he continues. Just like when I get doubled, right away to the open guy until I stop getting doubled and then doing it again because that did work for them last night. I think it's it's interesting if we want to get into the Jason Tatum psychoanalysis here, right? It's I feel like so much of it is I he's done a great job all series of passing out of double teams, especially when it's the shots not falling, you know? So I feel like it's not a question of, of selfishness, but if he's getting they're letting him take an open shot, like he's gonna take that shot, you yeah, know? But the thing is, is he should pass out every time and he doesn't. I think because his problem beats them every time. Mm-hmm. True, true. Well, I don't know. I don't know about every time though, because for three quarters, Celtic shooting was cold as ice. You know, it was the difference between the first half and the third quarter was that Marcus and I were making those shots. You know, they didn't. They Boston missed their like first twenty-three point field goal last night. It was like ungodly yeah. stat. And I think I think if we want to get into like the, the Jason Tatum issue, I feel like he he wants that superstar whistle and that superstar treatment, and we see it when he gets. I've seen it all year where he gets the the foul calls when he's driving the hoop, and it goes in. It doesn't go in. If it doesn't go in, he gets the whistle. He's like, yeah, I'm that dude. He's locked in. He's ready to rock and roll. Doesn't get the whistle if it doesn't go in. If he doesn't feel like the refs, once the refs start getting in his head, he starts playing. Like this, we see the the hide the, yeah. to his regular All NBA Jekyll. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. It, I remember Peter and I back in January when we went to the Hornets Celtics game, December or January. Um, yeah, remember we talked about that. that yeah, and, uh, but not but gone. <laughs> well, that was when um, like Tatum had a pretty good night, but you could see when he didn't get the calls his way how it bothered him. And mm, sometimes that feels mm-hmm. him to be better, but sometimes it just doesn't fuel him at all. And I'd be interested to see how he can take the, the um, all of the, the, abuse, yeah. the abuse and turn it into motivation instead of complaints. Even you know, even when some of those complaints are very valid because they're horrible calls, sometimes mm-hmm. like you can't do anything about it. You got to move on. And I think when that's and things like this are exactly why you hear that green teamer. The only team better than the Celtics is the Celtics, right? 
is because if they can figure this stuff out, this mental side, this like just getting yourselves like mentally right. Get, like if Tatum shows up and is he's his All NBA Tatum, Boston wins this series. Last game, you know, just Tatum is something's not right. I thought it was the shoulder, but I think it's this exact issue, Duncan, like you're saying, where it's the the refs are in his head. He doesn't feel like he's that dude, and it's just things just aren't working out for him because it's he's just not right. He's unable to take this whatever mental pressure is going on right now. Yeah. And I am excited, however, mm-hmm. to see Jason Tatum in the elimination games. Me too. I've got these stats up for you. In the first two elimination games against Milwaukee, he scored 46 points, then 23, and then against the Heat, 26. But uh, throughout that, he had nine rebounds, six rebounds, 10 rebounds, four assists, eight assists, six assists. And from three, he shot 47, 56, and 57% in those three games. So I think. An elimination game, that pressure is uh, an added driving force for Taylor, yeah. and I'm interested to see how that how that pans out in games six and seven. Yeah, and I'm I'm right there with you because I love Jason Tatum. You know, like I'm, if that isn't abundantly clear after 13 episodes of Baker's Dozen of a podcast, you know, and I think when he's on, he looks like the like he looks like the best player in the world. You know, so I'm right there with you. It should be an interesting game, game six. To uh, a point that uh, you were saying a lot earlier about the sort of ebbs and flows of the three-point success for the Celtics, they missed the first 12 mm-hmm. three-pointers. Mm-hmm. That was a finals oh, record you. for most consecutive three-pointers missed in a game. Then they made eight in a row, which is also a finals record for most consecutive threes made in a finals game. So uh, they really... This team uh, is bipolar. Oh, my God. It always returns to the mean. Now, it was funny what you were, uh, what both of you were saying about Tatum, though. I thought Tatum was their best player on the floor last night, really without any question. And what he was doing in terms of playmaking was a return to the form after after mm-hmm. game four. Uh, Ime Odoka said a lot that the team was hunting for fouls and 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 trying to play through the uh, the refs and not and sort of not playing to their game Mm -hmm. really uh if there's someone who i would point to as being uh disappointing last night it would be jalen brown uh it's been very evident throughout the last couple games that the warriors have seen the scouting report and they know that jalen brown likes to drive right it's very clear clay thompson now is also shuffling his feet a lot better he's the clay thompson the two-way that we haven't seen for a while in the first couple games it looked like he couldn't get past anyone on any drives, which he still can't to a degree. But on defense, he's much improved. And Brown has been attacking Draymond Green as well, who has been fantastic. So honestly, what I think the Celtics need to do is Jalen Brown needs to be more decisive and, and know what he wants to do with the ball. Oftentimes he gets downhill mm-hmm. and he leaves his feet and then he gets stuck and tries to dish it out. So, and that's when we've seen a lot of turnovers from Jalen Brown. Yes, yeah. he yeah. needs to take a page out of the Jason Tatum book in terms of decisiveness and precision mm-hmm. with um, mm-hmm. dealing with double teams and when you get downhill and have no real possible route to the basket. Yeah, I agree. So, I th- kind of talking about those turnovers, uh, we're going to have a little trivia segment today where uh, oh. Peter and Gary are going to butt heads, go against each other, and try to take home the first trivia dub. But what team in the regular season this year? had the most turnovers in a win. 
you'll both get you get one point for the correct team and mm. one point for whoever's closest to the amount of turnovers. So, yeah, what, what we're going to do is we're going to go back and mm. forth with who, like, answers the questions first. So, Peter, you can answer what team first, and Garrett, you can answer how many turnovers first. Okay. 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 Uh, this I'm going to go... This is due to the way they play and sort of they're on the mind at the moment, but I'm going with the Golden State Warriors for the team. Okay. Garrett, what's your team? I thought you wanted to be number turnovers. Um, I think team, I'm thinking, hmm, I'm thinking like high-powered offense. I'm thinking lots of like ball move. I'm trying, I'm, I don't know why like Trey Young is on the mind for me right now. I think I'm going. I'm going the Hawks because I feel like okay. I feel like there's a little bit of ball security issues there. Yet the at the same time, a yeah. prodigious offense. The turnover triple double. It's triple double. Okay. Exactly. All right, Garrett. So now you get to answer first. How many turnovers did you think it was? I'm going with like. Okay, wait, actually, 20... before you say that, um, I'll give you the answer for the team. Oh. So the team was the Denver Nuggets. Oh. Yeah. Versus sure. the Pistons on January 25th. All right, so now, with that in mind, Garrett, how many turnovers? Hmm. Now, number's a little bit different, because I know my Celtics have been turning the ball over like it's their job this year, and it's gotten pretty bad, I think, the first half of the season. Then again, not in the wind. Hmm. I'm going, like, I want to say 24. Okay. 24 turnovers. All right, Peter, what's your number? Uh, so 24 was the number in my head, and I was going to say it before. Uh, but I do not want to have the same number as, as Garrett, so I'm going to go 25. Oh, I thought you are about to price is right me there for a second. Uh, <laughs> well, the correct answer is 25. You're both right on the money with that. Oh, so, my uh, God. Point right now scores Peter 1, Garrett 0. We'll come God back to geez. trivia Christ. in a later segment. <laughs> uh, thank you, Garrett, for taking my number. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. But yeah, 25 right turnovers and a win. Man, here I'm thinking of if I'm ever gonna get a trivia against Pete, it's like random, random freaking numbers question. Yeah, bravo! That was, uh, bravo, that was a Peter. gift from, from on the from freaking above. money. Yeah, That's I think next time up. for like a question like that, like a team, we might go mm-hmm. back and forth until someone gets the team. So I, that, a lot that, of teams. Yeah, 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 I like that. Been towards the end of my list. Yeah, me too. That <laughs> couldn't have easily been a two-minute segment. Well, thank you, Duncan. As always, fabulous trivia. Uh, what uh, what has also been fabulous has been the coaching battle here in this final now <laughs> well, nice, transition. Nice, nice. But uh, one thing that was very clear uh, in the first couple games, I would say games one through three, is that Ime Udoka was out coaching Steve Kerr. Uh, Kerr at times mm-hmm. said that they were plugging holes to plug holes in terms of uh, rotations. Oftentimes, this is from Zach Lowe, that there were minutes or there were uh, rather lineups he put out on the floor of combinations of players that hadn't had any minutes together in the regular season. You usually don't see teams do that. Sometimes you see at the end of games, you see these weird lineups, and that's usually because it's a blowout and a coach is putting out a a lineup to see if there's anything there, if that combination of players is conducive to winning or or he thinks there's something there. So he he was trying out some of these lineups. Granted, there were not... Barely any lineups that had Curry, Comp, Curry, Curry, Clay, and Draymond because of their health. 
And then so a real random combination of players between Looney, Gary Payton, Otto Porter, Jordan Poole. And uh, so, yeah, although, so Udoka was really, I, I was, they've been yes, working. He was in the first couple games, he's pushing the right buttons at the right times, finding the right combinations of big and small lineups that exploited the Warriors, for example. At the end of game one, he went with a more shooting based lineup with uh, Grant Williams and Derek White uh, playing well. And, and then in game three, he went with a lot of size and physicality. Uh, Robert Williams played well in that game. Uh, Grant Williams, again, was also critical mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. offensive and, and defensive glass. But since then, Steve Kerr has found a lot of lamps that perform well without Curry in the game, letting him get some rest. And uh, if I'm the Celtics, I obviously want, I need to win the non-Curry minutes. And he's got a lot of energy and yeah. production out of guys like Jordan Poole, Gary Payton. Otto Porter Jr. in their roles, and in a sense led to Ime Odoka sort of losing faith in some of his role plays. Payne Pritchard, inconsistent minutes, and the threes he has mm-hmm. shot have been off, which is not something we've been able to say. Uncharacteristic. Yeah, certainly not through the playoffs. He's been usually money when he's been in the game. Derek White has lost his trust on defense. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, who we will get to later, uh, is doing whatever you want oh, yeah. with White in the post. And Grant Williams has sort of gotten caught up in the antics. And it seems at times that the stage is too big for him. And so this is... Even with all of his theatrics. <laughs> very much so. He's a very theatrical player, but I don't know if he can play on the stage. But this has really led to Udoka tightening an already tight rotation. And that, and there's been stretches where he, there have been lineups that have been productive. And due to how long he's had to stay with them, they've gotten tired. Uh, for example, last night... Uh, he started the third quarter with the regular starting five. They went on that run in which they hit the eight straight threes. And he kept that lineup in there for really the most of the third quarter. And the Warriors managed to claw back at the end because uh, he was running Tatum and Brown out the whole second half. So the thing I have... And you could see how tired they played, too. Exactly. It was like Tatum missing two free throws in a row. He did that twice. Yeah, Made me want to gouge my eyes out, dude. One oh thing from um, God. Jordan said in the last dance is uh, in his like finals thing against Utah, his last finals, mm-hmm. is when you're tired, you miss your shots. They're short. And yeah. Tatum had a lot of front rims. And that's mm-hmm. just, you know, you're tired. You don't have it in you to give the extra little oomph to get it into yeah. the basket. And that was happening a lot for Tatum. In the and you know what quarter. it reminds me of? Gives me all the props to Jimmy Butler for playing every minute of that game seven. Like, how the heck do you do that? Tatum is our age and he can't he can't hang like that. Jimmy Butler has been in the league for so long and to play every minute of a like elimination game and look that good, bonkers. The way we go about Jimmy Butler, he may not be a top ten player. But there are not ten other players that can drag their team to the conference finals. Like mm-hmm. the, the top ten player thing we've gone over it very, uh, really. I, I'd probably stretch it to twelve, or you could put it in tiers. Very tough to uh, do like an exact ten. But anyways, uh, certainly with what Butler has done, uh, he's found a way to shoulder the load. I think Tatum Brown look uh, fatigued. Uh, so interesting mm-hmm. stats just about that uh, fatigue to put in context on the burden these guys have had to carry uh so tatum has played nearly 200 more playoff minutes than the next non-celtic player so that'd be around 
you know, if 40 minutes a game, you could say like five more games. Wow. Uh, this is uh, off the off the record trivia, not in the in the in the point system, but just okay. uh, for both of you, uh, Duncan can go first. Uh, the the next the the highest playoff minutes this playoff run this year uh, as a non-Celtic. Non-Celtic. I almost want to go Jimmy Butler. I was but, gonna say Jimmy. Yeah, but just with like there's been five more games. Like I feel like um, I'm just gonna go who I'm assuming has the most minutes for Golden State between Steph and Wade. Uh, I'll just go. I'll go Steph. It'd be Jimmy or Steph for me too, Duncan. I'm right there with you, so I'll go Jimmy then. So it is a warrior because of the, uh, the five more sense. games, but it's actually Clay Thompson. Oh, interesting. oh, yeah. I think Clay. He did leave men a lot for that game three blowout where he couldn't buy a bucket. He got a, he got That's a couple true. minutes there, and I think his uh, his value as a two way guy really you can play him in any lineup. So I think there's a lot of value there. But just uh, rounding out these sort of stats on Tatum, he is currently at 17th all time for most minutes in a single playoff run, which is kind of a crazy stat. Wow. And if the series went seven games, so provided that mean the Celtics would win on Thursday in Boston, and he played 40 minutes a game for game six and seven, he would be in the top seven for most minutes played in a single playoff run. Wow. And if he played around 45 minutes a game, which is a lot, but you would think if they win, they would uh, he would have to really play a lot of minutes. He would be in the top three mm-hmm. for all minutes for most minutes all time in a single playoff run. So this just wow. sort of puts in context wow. the uh, what what he's had to do. And I think a little a little bit of this is on Ime Udoka. He as a rookie coach, uh, he hasn't been in this stage, uh, not as an assistant either. Mm. Well, maybe he did in San Antonio, but um, you know it's a whole different ballgame managing minutes and rotations on the fly. And um, certainly, even if you've been in this spot, uh, Kerr struggled at times. Uh, you know, Kerr also was in a similar position early in his career. So mm-hmm. I just uh, was wondering what your both of your thoughts were on sort of the heavy minutes both of them are playing, and if that's affected their performance. I think they need to be playing those heavy minutes. I mean. Especially when like Grant isn't playing as you know, like his strongest, uh, the strongest part of his game yesterday was his mouth. Like, you know, he wasn't proving anything with, his, with any of his basketball skills. He was complaining. There was that one shot where Ime was just like yelling at him to like stop playing, start playing the game. Or that's what mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Couldn't really read the mm-hmm. books there, but um, yeah, I think at some point you have to trust the other players when the other players aren't doing it trust the guys that can get it done which are usually Jalen and Jason. They were tired and maybe they just got to do some other way in the third quarter. But then again, they were hot in the third quarter. How are you going to take them out? Yeah. Yeah. Because the last thing you want to do is take out a shooter that's like of the caliber of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum when they're super hot. Like we saw it in, I think, what another Celtic loss where Jalen was cooking in the first quarter, got two quick fouls and was yanked and then couldn't buy a buck the rest of the game. But a lot of the Celtics offense needs has been and needs to come from the, the Jays, you know? So I don't know how you can really give them rest, you know? Especially, but, my God, after two Game 7 series, it makes me think of, like, what if the Celtics lost a game in the Nets series? How gassed would they be for this finals run, you know? 
like that unprobable sweep has really probably saved a lot, a lot of headaches for the Celtics this playoff run. But after, but after 18 games before the finals, like it's understandably gassed, you know. But I don't see how you really can curb the Tatum and Brown minutes, especially when so much the offense, the Celtics offense, which is really floundering in this final series, is coming from them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think you need to find you need, you need to find other roles for for Grant Williams. Like he has, we we saw him on defense. It worked. He can stop Giannis, you know. Obviously, different, much different assignment than the guard-heavy Golden State. But oh man, I I think all it takes is a little more trust in the the bench guys at a game six, home court. They hit shots, you know. All of a sudden, this looks like a very different series for Boston, you know. If Tatum and Brown can get a little bit of rest, maybe play only like forty-two instead of forty-five minutes or something like that. Yeah. Oh man. Gives like, the other players a chance to get going. And yeah. Peter, I wonder what you think about this, but there's a couple times where the Warriors were going pretty small, where like the Draymond was their biggest player, and then um they'd have like I feel like three guards in and then almost Wiggins at the four or something like that. Mm, uh mm-hmm. well maybe not three guards. Porter's kind of a smaller forward, right? But he uh what do you think of the Celtics like responding to that with like their biggest lineup? Like putting in Rob and Al and really just trying to dominate the paint. And you know, trying to do their best on defense with the shooting. I don't, <clears throat> I don't think it's a coincidence that those lamps played well in games one and three, but a lot of it depends on how the minutes are being managed. Of Al and Rob are the two I'm really thinking of here because Al is not being viewed as someone to even take note of on defense, like he has in other series. Uh, they're attacking him in the pick and roll didn't happen as much in this past game game five but they're willing to get past al and bring him to the perimeter same thing with rob rob's knees look his knee looked better in this past game Mm -hmm. but it is still something to monitor so i think it's beneficial to uh to have size i think they might move away from that lineup and put grant in as long as he is not in foul trouble not sort of playing dumb uh because grant has provided them a lot of value in crashing the boards, and he was playing. Uh, He's been cleaning up the glass. Playing good defense yesterday, and switches on Steph Curry. He had the block from behind, and he also had a very good contest of, I believe it was Steph or Clay, but he really he put his ankle uh, uh, in the ninety degree split, so that uh, prevented his ability to recover on that play. But I think uh, going with more size is beneficial to them. Uh, Mm-hmm. especially because I believe there, there was a lineup. I, I don't know who was the de facto big. I don't know if it was Wiggins or Draymond, but they did have a lineup where they had Curry, Poole, Peyton, and Clay. So you have four guards in the game. So uh, I think Grant brings a lot of value there in terms of defensive mm-hmm. versatility while still having the size, but a lot of it depends yeah. on... I think there's a lot of feel factor for Udoka, how well they're playing and competing out yeah. there. That makes yeah. sense. And Pete, if I can add on, I think so much of this series that has really kind of been a question mark for me has been why isn't Boston playing the paint game? You know, like I feel like we haven't, in, in, coming into this series for me, I was expecting a lot less resistance in the paint than what Golden State's been throwing at us. And there's, there's they've been doing great, like Looney's not to be trifled with, you know? But he's not 
Brooke Lopez and Giannis, you know? He's not like Bam Adebayo and the Heat. Like, this is the most wide open I feel like the the pain has been for the season a while, but they haven't found ways to play their game and execute and get those easy baskets that have made them such a deadly offense, you know? Like, yeah. I feel like I haven't seen a Rob Lob in forever, mostly because, like, it's probably not playoff viable, but, like, it's so much of the Celtics offense, so much of the success of their offense has come from being in and attacking the paint. And I think, I think it's a lot, a lot of it is Jason Tatum's slump, shooting slump in the paint as well. Like he's struggling at finishing the basket, the stat that's going around everywhere is, you know, his finishing percentage in the paint is worse than like Curry's three, three point percentage or some, some whack. Yeah. wacky stat like that but at the same time tatum's taking like those high degree difficulty oh One yeah thing i'd be interested in is every time. He, i know he's tired a lot but uh, sometimes like when he's not bringing the ball up you see him walking up court and like mm-hmm. i know you're tired but it's the nba finals i'd like to see him move more off the ball and get mm. like because then that works the defense more too and that's less less work you have to do when you're on defense because you know wiggins is more tired running around all the time yeah. instead of being able to just drive down. I'd be interested to see like him play almost how, how Jalen Brown plays sometimes of getting mm. off those screens and getting those, those open threes and, you know, those cuts. Um, so maybe make them like double team you off the ball too, could give more uh, release sure. of pressure. Definitely. But going back to you... the trivia, yeah. we were talking about Ime and the rookie coaches. So if you guys don't mind, I'm going to get into sure. this next round. Right now, Peter's up one zip. Uh, just a little, little warm-up there, you know? but uh, we got some opportunities for more coaches here. Okay. And, you know, I'll, we'll go Garrett first because Peter's in the lead. But have any other rookie coaches won the NBA Finals? Uh, you get one point for correct answer, and then we'll go back and forth and a point for each correct answer. So can you name a rookie coach who won the Finals, Garrett? I think uh, most recently Nick Nurse, right? Nick Nurse, correct, yeah. So it's it's one point for Garrett. Nick Nurse won in twenty nineteen. Hey, wait a second. He shouldn't be allowed. You shouldn't be able to confirm it. I was going to say Nick Nurse. I want that point. I, I, I'm not. Uh, I, I'm not going to take the point <laughs> away need, from you. I'm saying. I need that point you, please. You're a basketball genius. <laughs> I was going to go. Uh, once you get them, they're off the table. But oh, okay. I'm okay right. with that. I'm okay with that. You're okay with that. All right. So. Uh, that was one for Garrett. We're tied at one apiece. Peter. Steve Kerr. What do you What do you have? Steve Curry. Yeah. That was my next one. <laughs> yeah. I think those are the two uh, maybe easiest ones that you could get in mind. But um, all right. So 2-1. Garrett, you, you got anyone else? Um, was Ty Lu a rookie in 2016 when the Cavs won? Yes, he was. He took over mid-season. Let's go. And won the NBA Finals. So right, I, I right, 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 right. That was my next so, pick. Thank you. We're tied at 2-2, I believe. Um, and with that, I mean, if you guys get these next ones, I'll be very impressed. Is it but... Frank Vogel? Nope. Okay. Oh, he was going to be my next guest, too. Yeah, um... I mean, the last two... I, so I, I, have, I, have a, I have another guess, by the way, but uh, Garrett, if you have one. All right, Garrett. Um, hmm. Oh, geez. Uh, I'm thinking, I'm trying to go back in my little mental history of the NBA, right? And I remember my dad complaining about the Lakers back in the day. 
and his dad's dad, or not his dad's dad, his dad complaining about the Lakers back in the day. Pat Riley wasn't a rookie, was he? He was a rookie. Yeah. No, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. He he was a rookie, dude. And back in eighty eighty one eighty two, Magic Johnson <laughs> got Man. the former coach fired. And Pat Riley took over, and they won. No kidding. Talk about left field I, answers, man. You're pulling out dad's dads. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm Peter, thinking, for the last one. talks about Bird all the time and, you know, obviously talks about Magic Johnson all the time. They yeah. go hand in hand. Yeah. Oh, man. The, uh, the coach that got fired, he also, that previous Lakers coach, Peter, we'll, we'll give you the last shot, and then we'll move on. But that counts. He also won as a rookie. Is this the last person? Oh. Uh, ah, yeah. well, I was going to guess Casey Jones of the Celtics, but I guess he didn't win it in his first year. Um, So the previous Lakers yeah. coach before, Pat Riley, I have no mm-hmm. idea. Uh, uh, I literally have zero clue. <laughs> I, All right, well, it is Paul Westhead. Oh, Paul Westhead. Beats me. Everyone knows right, Paul. So... Let's, let's not beat around the bush oh, yeah. here. We can just move on. <laughs> All right, I'm bad at counting. Is it three two Garrett right now? Is it? Well, so he got Nurse he got, Lou I and got Nurse Riley. Ty Lou and yeah, and then uh, Garrett's up three two. So because uh, you got Kerr, because I got Kerr, and, and then, then I had the the Vogel guess. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, after our next segment, we'll go into our final round and. Find our winner. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I feel bad now. But um, <laughs> Pete, Pete, bro, you're gonna beat me. It is inevitable. I know the uh, <laughs> little foreshadowing. I'm going off anecdote. I'm going off of like very limited experience. That's here. a fair point. Uh, you know, if we'd been tallying the previous episodes, I think I'd be. I'd oh, be it's no contest. No contest. Yeah, but we're actually going to take a quick break before we uh, talk about the main man of the hour, Andrew Wiggins. So we will get going with that right after this. Coming back from the break, we have to talk about Andrew Wiggins. Much is being made out of his coming out party. Uh, There's multiple games. It was really evidenced by last night's Game 5 performance, which he had, I believe, 26 points, uh, like around 14 rebounds. Uh, but, but just great stuff on both ends of the court. Tyrese Halliburton himself said that uh, he thought Andrew Wiggins has been the best player that's defended Jason Tatum throughout the playoffs. Bit of a hot take at the time because of what Drew Holiday mm. has done or, or Jimmy Butler. But uh, I think he's proved it. Just uh, for to sort of recap yeah. the journey of Andrew Wiggins, uh, if you watch the game, they sort of did a little bit about that. But this is a little more context-based so Andrew Wiggins was um, he was the number one pick out of Kansas uh, in the same draft as Joel Embiid, uh, as well as Kristaps uh, Porzingis, I, I, I believe Porzingis, and Jabari Parker. Uh, Wiggins was teammates with Joel Embiid in college at Kansas, but Wiggins went number one. Embiid had foot issues. There are many uh, lost speculation that Embiid uh, was the best player and he would have gone number one if his foot didn't have those issues. Although Embiid essentially lost about two seasons due to that foot having uh, issues. So 
Uh, but but Wiggins, he put up big numbers when he was in Minnesota. High volume scoring, really no efficiency though. Uh, he still won Rookie of the Year, uh, but the team didn't win many games, um, even with Carl Anthony Towns, the two of them being their core. In 2020, he was traded for D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell was signed and traded from the Brooklyn Nets to the Warriors in the Kevin and Kevin Durant uh, signing to the Nets. Uh, uh, the Warriors did that because... And a first. They got Wiggins they got and a, a first. They got a D-Lo. protected first that turned Dang. into Jonathan Kaminga. Uh, and so uh, Minnesota kind of got tired of Wiggins. They they couldn't really win with him. He's making a lot of money. They wanted uh, a different second guy next to Cat. They were having a bit of a point guard crisis over a couple of years at Jeff T. They and Ricky Rubio, they couldn't figure that out. Celtics legends, Jeff Celtics Teague. Legend, uh, NBA champion, Jeff Teague. NBA champion, Jeff There it is. Uh, Russell's oh, also friends with Cat, so made like a, a good fit there. Uh, Wiggins was sort of overlooked. I found this sort of interesting. He's been sort of overlooked in the league where athletic two-way wings are as valuable as ever, and they're at a premium, but he was very dismissed as someone who was either – a one-dimensional score or couldn't improve even though he is like 26 or something you're 28 the oldest he is he's a young guy still uh, this sort of evidenced by how special boston has it with both jalen brown and jason tatum as two-way wings um the brian mm. windhorst was talking about this after the game last night uh just thought the that is a checkbook win for the Warriors. I thought it was a bit overblown, but that the Warriors willing to pay deep into the luxury tax has been beneficial for them. Say four max guys in Curry, Clay, Draymond, and Wiggins. And they've recently spoken. Uh, this was uh, GM Bob Myers talking along, or sort of on behalf of owner Joe Lacob, sorry, commissioner Joe Lacob. Governor. Oh my God. Yeah, not commissioner. Yeah, Adam Silver. <laughs> Team Governor Joe Lake of, oh my gosh, uh, that they are going to lock up Jordan Poole. So uh, it's really been an amazing, amazing, what am I doing? In a, in a, an amazing resurgence by Wiggins in fitting and adapting into this role. He's sort of an ultimate energy guy, and he is uh, mm-hmm. kind of seemingly unguardable at times. Uh, just based off the two of you, what do you think uh is the best thing that he's brought to the floor has it been the crashing the glass has it been his work in the post and the paint has it been his finishing ability i'm just curious what you what two of you think about that yeah there's times where andrew wiggins looks like the best player on the court in this series like and that's with steph popping off for through four games you know like he's looked insane and i think it's the combination of everything you just said between the post, the finishing, and I, what I think is his real X factor is is the motor and athleticism to do all of that. Like he's a rubber band man, man. He can move, he can jump, he can fly, he can do whatever you need him to do. It's it's crazy. And like you said, the ultimate energy guy. You give ultimate energy guy, and you give him the balance that Andrew Wiggins has. It's holy smokes. Yeah, to kind of mirror what you're saying there, Gary. I think it's the athleticism um, mm-hmm. and the mental and physical endurance that he has because the entire game he's making Jason Tatum uncomfortable. And that's kind of like, that's been a huge factor for him. And you know, he's not, he doesn't have 40 point games. He has 16 rebounds, but 
Like it's two three rebounds, two rebounds, man. That's yeah, but at the same time, like I, I think a lot of those boards, like some of those boards, were great contested boards that he got. But a lot of the boards were, you know, the Warriors were playing all guards and Wiggins pretty much. Mm-hmm. Like he's the biggest mm-hmm. guy on the court, mm-hmm. and he's going to get a lot of boards. True, but but regardless of that fact. He was making, he was a presence on both sides because he's mentally committed the entire time to play his best basketball. Something that we've seen like uh, on the Celtics side, like there's been some frustration, which leads to like, you know, walking up the court and like getting into the mm-hmm. sets late and not taking the best shots because you're frustrated. And Wiggins, you know, there's a very important stat too. He's got that dog in him. And it's just, <laughs> dog it, stat is through the roof. He's yeah. got that 99. dog in him. And, yeah, he's, he's doing it on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it too is, you know, in combination with that 99 dog, right, is despite the pedigree, you know, number one pick, you know, high usage in Minnesota, bounced around the league, but like he's just, he's on a team with, like you said, Pete, four max guys, you know, or three other max guys. He's got the ability to be to to move around a lot more unfettered than he ever has, you know, and it's clearly paying dividends, especially if you're Bob Myers, you know, like, or what is it, Team Governor Lacombe? <laughs> like, oh my goodness, I, I feel like he's thriving in this role because most people had him pegged for a superstar. Super because remember coming out of college, he was pegged as the next LeBron, right? Like he was he was gonna be the next big thing. Maple Jordan. And yeah, yeah, Maple, yeah Jordan. Maple Jordan, you know? And so I feel like when he doesn't have to be Maple Jordan and he can just be that fourth fourth max that that other star in, in this role, obviously he's gonna you know, knock heads and make waves and make a spot. No, I'm I'm really glad you mentioned that, Garrett, in terms of the help that he has had because it is a unique circumstance for Boston to guard this playoffs. And they've played really every type mm. of elite wing. Uh, I mean, start off against Brooklyn, Kevin Durant, they uh, knew the scouting report. I mean, you play, they played them four times in the regular season and they played them in the playoffs last year. They knew Durant couldn't blow by them. They didn't let him settle into his jumpers and they, they were able to swipe the ball on the way up and then they took away a lot of the passing lanes as well. And then uh, round two uh, against the Milwaukee Bucks again, a team that they usually play like four times a year. Golden State, you play like two times, so less exposure. Or Minnesota, mm-hmm. you play two times a year. Uh, in terms of Giannis, the warm, they really warm down game after game. Uh, that helps with uh, Giannis's extremely high usage and his lack of help around him. And they were also uh, willing to let Giannis uh, shoot, which was uh, he not a great three-point shooter, but Giannis sort of settles into it at times. Oh my goodness! When he's when I, I still get trauma when he makes those threes. I was like, oh. when, he, when he makes them, <laughs> you're like, why, why are we playing? <laughs> you can... It's like, what's going on? Like, stop the count. <laughs> it's oh god, those those are devastating. Please continue, Pete. No, no, no worries. Um, <laughs> moving on to the oh, uh, conference finals, Jimmy Butler of the Miami Heat, a real uh, old school type of player, a lot more finesse and precision, mm, and knows mm. what he wants to do uh, with the ball. But he was also hampered by a lack of help, and he also looked worn down game after game. And, you know, uh, as we were talking about earlier, evidenced by his 48-minute performance in Game 7, just couldn't quite... Also a high dog stat, Jimmy Butler. He's, he's, uh, he's got a 125-dog <laughs> Oh, oh yeah. league. He breaks the scale. Um, and so, you know, Wiggins is is the last of, of this line. Granted, I would not put him in the Kevin mm. Durant-Giannis-Jimmy Butler conversation, but... 
Uh, mm. Wiggins has a lot of benefit by not uh, having the same attention on him. He he, uh, he doesn't really help in terms of shooting the ball. Sometimes he gets wide open looks and he misses. But what you can say is that he has the most help out of anyone else. Because if when you have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan, Jordan Poole helping to space for you, you know, you can't really help on him. And he also just has a ton of energy because he doesn't need to be the guy on every possession, offensive or defensive, even if he's performed great on Jason Tatum. Yeah. And, uh, you know, somehow he just has these like hook shots to finish over everyone. I don't know where that came from. Oh, my God. I don't I, I was going to say like the, some of those hook shots. He's like, knock hmm. your socks off, man. It's I'm like, going to shoot it wow. now. And then it just goes and in. And you're like, what? And, and it's like always this like most low angle shot that goes off the glass, gets the spin. It's like, how? <laughs> Why are these going in? Just mechanically, <laughs> they don't make sense. But they go they go down. Yeah. I mean, he's he's got that dog in him. But something you were saying earlier, mm, Peter, with mm. like the, the team owners or governors or whatever, across multiple sports being able to kind of buy their way. It's something we're seeing in the NFL now that we can talk about more in a, another episode that Pat McAfee talks about a lot is that uh, owners with a lot of like liquid, just money that are willing to pay for it. Like the Rams owner, they can skirt around the, t- the, the cap and just, you know, give players roster bonuses in certain ways that don't count towards the cap and buy themselves a team. Exactly. Same with kind of the luxury tax in the NBA is that, you know, some owners they're willing to buy buy a championship, and uh, it's it's interesting how that works and whether that should work that way. Maybe it's a big conversation for another day, and maybe we get like a I don't know a, a sports yeah, <laughs> economist and it's, it's on an the interesting show. conversation too, Duncan. Because you know what what as a card carrying green teamer over here, it gets me excited to think about like okay, now that the Celtics have got over the hump of the ECF and they made the finals. When does Wick start opening up his pocketbook and start paying for a team? Because they're here now. And correct me if I'm wrong, they're like under the cap, right? They're if not, they're pretty pretty freaking close, you know. And so a bunch of young guys, and they're in the big games, you know. It's it's the finals. They're there too. So it's well, future is bright. But then again, you never know with how these things go. Yeah. So sort of a couple yeah. of things on uh, what both of you are saying there in terms of. How much the Warriors are paying, if I'm correct, uh, in terms of roster, it's like 150 million, but then they are playing around like 300 million dollars wow. in luxury tax. So it's not a small bill, and it 300 million in the luxury tax again. It's I believe more it's of their salary. There are wow. high penalties for repeater taxes, and this is wow. You know, and yeah, they've been repeating for a while. Balance, you know. Yes. Um, and, oh and part of it was that they. Uh, wow. The owner, Joe Lacob, sorry, oh my gosh, the sorry, the team governor, was willing to <laughs> use that. He's willing to pay in luxury tax even while they were uh, rebuilding the past two years. Wow. Um, and in terms of the Celtics, yes, I believe at the moment they are right under the luxury tax. Uh, I believe last year, you know, they've made a couple moves to sort of duck right yeah. under it when they traded Bull Bull to the. Oh, right. Magic. To Denver. Right. They we got know, him was, from the Nuggets, traded him to him. Orlando. Yeah. Well, part of that was to get right under With, the... With uh, Dozier, yeah, right? DJ Dozier. Dozier. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, so um, I believe, uh, depending on how far they, 
they if if they end up winning the whole thing, they might go right under the they might uh go right over the luxury tax due to roster bonuses. I think uh, Horford and Brown have. have oh, true, ones. true. But it'll in terms right. of if they'll go over, um, you know, they don't have a lot of guys that are gonna have contracts coming up. So, uh, the, you know, the way they'd go over is like big money extensions. Uh, granted, based on mm. what we've seen, I think like Grant Williams would be eligible for an extension. Uh, Peyton mm. Pritchard could be a guy they want to bring back. But, you know, Brown and Tatum are locked up. Rob is locked up. Smart is locked Derek up. White's locked White. up. So there's yeah. not really a lot of room to go over uh, at the moment. Yeah, True. one thing that's interesting with the Warriors and us kind of like going, whoa, with the luxury tax. From in 2009 to 2019, the Warriors' value increased by 1,000%. 1,000%. They went from they were bought for wow. four hundred fifty million, and uh, currently they're valued at around five billion. So you know, I think what wow, what, yeah, what Joe Lacob is trying to do is make them a dynasty, make them a uh, you know the Celtics and Lakers of of back then, and kind of like for him paying this is an investment, paying the luxury tax now will maybe allow them to get another ring and cement them in the record books and make them a, a team that everybody follows for who knows how long, regardless of how good they are. It's also part of the reason that they made the investment to move to the Chase Center in San Francisco. Even though Oracle Arena was an mm, iconic mm. building in Oakland, they believe the Chase Center will be you know, a great foundational piece uh, for the organization for, for, year, for years to come. So unless either of you have anything to say more to say about Andrew Wiggins. Um, I think we'll uh, move on to our last segment right after this break. So coming back from the break, we're actually going to do a little bit of Andrew Wiggins trivia, some career highs. So uh, would you like to introduce Ooh. us more to that, Duncan? Yeah, the he's got that dog in him stats coming right up. We're going to go back and <laughs> forth. I think Garrett's up 3-2, so Peter will guess first. Uh, what we'll do is... Uh, We'll each guess one, like Peter will go, then Garrett will go, then whoever's closest will win, then next round Garrett will go, Peter will go, et cetera, et cetera. So these are career highs in the playoffs and the regular season. Okay, right. Yeah, so we're, we're going for both. So, Peter, you would you like to guess your Wiggins career high in points? Yeah, so I think he, he had some big nights there in, uh, in mm. Minnesota. Trying to think on if he scored fifty. I'm gonna go with no, but I'm gonna go close. I'm gonna go that he had a forty-four point outburst. Okay, okay. Now, Duncan, am I guessing points right now as well? Until we get it, or you're guessing like... points, and then we'll see who's close. Okay, forty-four. You know, I'm gonna go forty-three. Forty-three. Price is it right. It was forty-seven. So yeah, he scored forty-seven and twenty-seven. Ah, damn. Yeah, against <laughs> your LA Lakers. So wow, <laughs> your talking yeah, to so. the two green teamers in the pod, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> so ties it right back up. It's three-three. Garrett, you get the honor of uh, guessing Wiggins' rebounds, which should hmm. be an easy one. I think it was a career high rebounds eighteen this finals, right? Or my my tripping, or did you get like a twenty one? Mm-hmm. Been a busy week for me, gang. I'm gonna go go eight. Eighteen, okay. I'm go eighteen. Peter, you have a guess. 
Yeah, so I think it's 18. But So, all right, if I guessed 18, am I allowed to have the same guess? And would it mean no one would get the point? I think that's what we'll do. Um, oh, okay. It kind of seems like cheating, because what if the guy has the lead, and um, he just guessed yeah. the same, so there's no way he can get points. it. points, yeah. I would have been doing that all okay, day, we right? We can't guess the same, then. We definitely can't. Yeah, you can't. Can't guess All right, I'm going to go now. 17. 17? Mm, damn. So you're right. It was this finals. It was uh, game four, and he had 16 rebounds. So I think that means that goes to Peter. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. So damn. Peter's up 4-3. Uh, That's how math works. Yeah, 4-3 Peter, right? Wow. And, um, wow. Blowing it like the fourth quarter Celtics right now. Yeah. So... um. Peter, you get to guess first for assists. What is Andrew Wiggins' career high in Not assists? Not trying to think too much. Going nine. Nine? All right. Garrett? I'll go right on the money, too. I was going to go seven. Seven? Uh, going the unders. Not believing Wiggins. It was 11. That was so my other guess. Up, uh, yeah. Up five, three. Um, so why am I so bad at keeping score? I'm going between tabs. Yeah. So you got you guys got, got score. Five, three. All right. So Garrett? Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, actually Wiggins, he had those 11 assists against Toronto in 2020. So a little more recent than that points high. Okay. So we got three more stats to go through blocks, Wiggins career high blocks, Garrett. What you think? I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go five, five Peter. What you got? Yeah, it's definitely higher than five. So I'm gonna go six, six. It was five, oh right? Gosh. On the money. Five to four. About time. <laughs> yeah. All right, Peter. Here we go. Definitely Steals. Nice. Five to four to either extend your lead or bring it to a game seven type. I'm going, I'm going back with six. You're going to six with steals, Garrett. What you got? I'm, uh, I'll go five. Five right. treated me well. In 2016, Andrew Wiggins had six steals against... The Golden State Warriors. I feel like you knew that team. straight out, Pete. Six steals sounds right. right well, there we'll, you go. You know, well to played. kind of to go against the the over under betters and the the spread betters. You know, we'll see who can get the turnovers. You know, kind of the oh. sad stat here. So he posted this stat: this high in turnovers, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. So Garrett, you can do oh, us yeah. the honor. Oh shit! Uh, excuse me. <laughs> oh sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh sugar. Um, I don't know why the number seven's calling out to me. All right. Peter? Well, you know how you said you did eight times. I'm going eight. Lock it in. It was six. Oh. Yeah. So, so <laughs> brings the total to six five. Still Peter, I believe. Right? Oh, Is that how math works? There we go. Damn. Well, that was that was a fun little gauntlet. Um, you know, I'll lose by one. <laughs> the most recent being uh this year against the Heat. He posted six. Mm. So you know Wiggins, he's got some high turnovers, but he's never reached I feel like six is like, oh okay, yeah, I got six turnovers. Anything more is like, wow, that's a lot of turnovers. Yeah. So I'll give him that. Mm-hmm. Well, so Wiggins was the uh number one pick of his draft. So we're gonna transition to who might be the number one pick of this year's draft. That's just a little primer. Ooh. I feel like we've talked a lot about the finals and get a little monotonous and in theory this is more important than the finals to a degree. Uh more te- it matters to more teams. 
and these guys could win a lot of finals potentially. So uh, just a little recap of sort of the top three picks in terms of who has them and who are the the, the who we think will go uh, in those top three slots. So a number one pick is the Orlando Magic. I don't believe they've had the first pick since 2004, which I believe is Dwight Howard. Number two pick is by the Oklahoma City Thunder. They've had a lot of high picks in their history. Some of the ones... And they'll have a lot more. Uh, potentially. <laughs> um, so some of the noble oh, ones being Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden in that sort of top of the draft. And uh, Houston, the Houston Rockets with the third pick. Uh, last year they took Jalen Green, number two overall. I believe he's number two. Um. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there. so uh, Definitely the, sort of the start Top of four. their rebuild. Uh, and so the three guys we're going to talk about real quickly, Chet Holmgren, seven-foot forward slash center out of Gonzaga. And then Paolo Bancaro, I believe he's around like 6'10", forward out of Duke. And Jabari Smith Jr., I believe he's also around like 6'10", forward out of Auburn University. Uh, just going down with uh, what I think could be the case looking at Orlando uh, if you like what you have with your young core right now of Jalen Suggs Franz Wagner and uh, Wendell Carter Jr. do you take the guy that you don't want to regret not taking because of how special the talent is and that's Chet Holmgren Chet is a guy who can project to be everywhere over the court uh, blocking shots uh, post move hitting threes a little bit of ball handling it's really like a, a unicorn type player in the mold of, uh, of Porzingis Embiid, although he's probably more along the forward side of it. Well, he's skinny, so, you know, people are going to say he's Kevin Durant. Um, but uh, He's strong, though. I saw some saw some highlight reels of him uh, in Gonzaga. You know, everyone, like, says, oh, he's skinny, therefore he won't be able to guard people. He was locking down some big guys in the tournament. Like, the man's got great footwork, and although being skinny, you know, he's... How tall is he? he? Like seven feet tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's nuts. He's got that height. I can't imagine being seven feet tall, man. Like, I can't imagine being like six ten. I hit my head in enough door frames at six five as is. Like, <laughs> the world is simply not designed for people over that height, man. It's crazy. It's. I would not know. I, I sit at, at a, a cool six yeah, foot, I... six foot one on a good day. <laughs> Uh, and so really the other guy who could be taken by the magic, well, there are two other guys, but this is the other guy they've more been linked to has been Jabari Smith as he projects to be more of a dominant scorer, potentially number one scorer on a team. And I don't think they have that guy at the moment with uh, Jalen Suggs, Franz mm-hmm. Wagner, Wendell Carter Jr., Cole Anthony, not really number one scorer types and certainly not in that, that big forward frame that, that a lot of big mm-hmm. scores have. The third guy, Paolo Bancaro, they, if they drafted him, he'd be a guy that could plug in the lineup sort of immediately, and he'll make that impact in, mm-hmm. in all facets of the game in terms of playmaking, finishing, shooting, and uh, rebounding defense. So it's, it's sort of interesting. Like, the way you talk about it, kind of seems like Paolo Bancaro then, why wouldn't he be the first pick if he projects to be a guy who can make the immediate impact uh, and if you're a losing team, right, you want to put people in the seats and you want to win games. So why wouldn't you take, if he's the best at the moment, why wouldn't you want him? Well, it's, because if he's the... Nah, nah, I'll just, 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 just last point here. 
Uh, it just depends on on the thought process you have. Do you go with the best guy available and figure out the rest later, or do you pick a guy a little little more due to fit? So a little more unique here because they're all sort of forward types. But uh, there's got a lot of preference that these teams are going to have. Uh, just for me, just going to put this out there. Um, see if you guys have any thoughts on on any of these three guys or the teams. But uh, if I'm Orlando, I'd probably take Chet Holmgren just because he projects to be that special talent that you would regret passing up on later. Uh, really, all three, I think, are going to be great players and impact guys. And you, know, you can certainly salivate at all the talent they have at the forward position. But I think Chet could be a guy that yeah you look down and you're like why didn't I why why did we take him why are we overthinking this? Yeah, and and I think I'm right there with you because you're saying about like you know why don't we take Paulo first pick overall? He's a complete player now, you know, like he could really help us win now. I think a, a big part of the reason you you know you swing for the fences is so you can swing for the fences. You know, you don't draft for now ever. You know, it's like unless you're Golden State and you're like, hey, man, we just need a, a player. Now, you can trade the pick for someone else for that will make your team better in, in the short term. You draft, and especially if you're sitting at the top of the lottery, you draft for the future, for who these guys can be, you know? And we've talked about this in the podcast before. It's you draft on potential, you know? And if they work out, they work out. But they're unicorns for a reason, you know? Like, unicorns, they, they don't, they're extinct, you know? <laughs> So if you can get that, it's special. Stinked. <laughs> like they Stinked. existed before. <laughs> National animal of Scotland, by the way. So, you know, there's, hey, who's to say? But, um, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I think you go chat because if you, what if, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's the alert. It's like, and if you think about what will really get people in the seats, not just in the short term, but for, for years to come, is if, the, if a player like Chet hits, you know, fills out the frame. Could be more than you could, could be. Could be seriously special, especially given. You know, it's kind of a moot point with the guard heavy lineup that you know they have over in Orlando that they need a four because these all top guys are all forwards. But I don't feel like Orlando's ready to compete now to merit the Paulo pick. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's Chet. I agree. I feel like yeah, Orlando could take any three of these guys. However. If I'm the players, I think mm-hmm. Paulo is the best fit now for Orlando because yeah. I think he could go in and help bring them up because, yeah, you know, you're rebuilding, rebuilding, but you've got to start building at some point, some point mm-hmm. and start getting mm-hmm. better. And Chet may be the best player available, but like I don't think he'll be the best player in Orlando. You mm-hmm. know, Kristaps uh, yeah, mm-hmm. is a unicorn and he's not. Like we're not talking about him right now. He was traded away from the Mavs, and they got better without him, um, regardless of the fact that they didn't really have a center to replace him. So it, it's really like, what situation is the best for the players that will make them best in the long term? I think. Mm-hmm. However, does that mean that the Magic should not take Chet? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's the case. Um, and it, interesting little thing. Uh, I was just kind of looking at their their stats for this season in college, and I didn't really realize this. Like. Jabari can shoot. <laughs> He's 42% from three. Very legit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. However, he only has 43% field goal percentage, like total. <laughs> Whereas, like, Chet, he shoots 39 from three, but he's got a 60% field goal, like, uh, field goal percentage. So he's, he, he's more, of, I feel like, more of a balanced scorer since he doesn't have, like, 
that natural like weight where he like just pushes his opponents out of the way. He's kind of better at taking, he takes better shots and he makes his shots um, versus like, I feel like Jabari and Paolo are more talented, but they don't have as unique uh, like a skill set as Chet, you know? So mm. it, it's very interesting. I think if Chet falls to, um, I mean, he's, he's not going to fall to Houston, but I, I'd be interested with Chet on OKC. Yeah. Um, with a team that already kind of has some scorers, you know, they, they've got Giddy there who can kind of, mm-hmm. Our boy. It, it wouldn't just be Chet's <laughs> show. I think he'd have more success in OKC, although Orlando should probably pick him. So it, it's, it's interesting. Um, but then we've seen in the past, you know, whenever a player falls, it usually, they usually wind up being good. So like, you know, Tatum was pr- projected to go second, right? He fell to third. And was he not projected? No, I mean, it was consensus. Markel Fultz was the top. Consensus Fultz, and then, then the, Josh, then the Lakers Lonzo. did not veil their interest right. in Lonzo Ball. Um, and then Josh Jackson was talked yeah, about. Right? Between Tatum yep. and Jackson, sort of. Um, I guess now with like all the talk about like Tatum, Kobe, and the Lakers, it seems like he was destined for that number two. Yeah, it wasn't at the whatever. time, though. Yeah, very interesting, though, how mm-hmm. after the fact, I, I've seen people do like the mock ups of, of Tatum and Lakers jersey, and I'm just like, what are we doing? Come on, like, yeah. you have nothing else yeah. to do these time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll always be like, oh yeah, you know, uh, when we give them THT and some picks for Tatum, it's like, please. It's always, it's always <laughs> THT and garbage. Always, always. Oh my god. I, 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 but, I um, do like what you're talking about though. That versatility for Oklahoma, if they were able to get Chet, because I think between Giddy, SGA, and Chet, you have a lot of size and versatility. And it's mm-hmm. intriguing, and I don't know. Chad's kind of like a weird player. Okay, so he's kind of a weird team. I'm like, let's just get nuts. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I think he'd fit pretty well there. Um, do you think if you're OKC, you take the chance, you you pay to trade up to make sure you get what you want, or you just hope that the, your guy doesn't get taken? Well, for one, I think OKC can pay to trade up. They have assets that, well, they're frankly going to be losing very, very soon because they just don't have enough roster spots for all the first-round picks they'll have in the oncoming future. But, you know, I say while they can, you know, I feel like Chet really is kind of an idyllic idyllic pick for OKC, you know, especially because we all know if he is going to be special and be this this non-extinct unicorn, he needs to fill in his frame and then work into becoming a legit seven-footer that can dominate, you know. And stuff like that takes time. And OKC has time, time and resources, you know, it's, I, I think he fits whatever timeline they have with when all their real like money picks are going to start rolling in, you know, I th- I don't know. I think OKC is the best place for him to land, especially if Orlando decides, Hey man, maybe what we need right now is a alpha in Jabari to take. And then, you know, they take him. And then he is that dude, run a heliocentric offense around him and like put buck put you know, bums and seats in Orlando. I don't know. Yeah. Like I think I think if I'm Chet, I probably wouldn't be going to actually I don't, I don't know if what I'd well be doing if I'm Chet. I I, I can't fathom. Well, less sales tax in right Florida, now. if that matters. That's true. That's true. No shade to Oklahoma, but <laughs> I think I'd rather be in Florida. But uh I think if I I'm OKC though. I'd definitely looking at home green for, for pick two. Yeah. It's interesting though. Cause like, uh, I think going back to that dog stat, I think mm, Paolo mm, has the mm. most dog in him. I would agree. 
just from watching agree. the tournament, like uh, he he wasn't always like the best, didn't always have the best stats, but somehow like he kind of willed his team um, to you know make those he'd make those big shots when, mm. when the pressure mm. was on. Um, so I'd, I'm I'm interested like if there's like a clutch stat in college that you can look at. I feel like Paolo would be pretty high in that. What what would you what would you say his uh, dog number is if you had to if you had to pin it down to? Uh, oh, I give him a solid eighty five. Solid eighty five dog. Yeah. Rad, rad. Oh, yeah. I see. I see the vision. And Chet, unfortunately, he's got like a seventy-six dog, because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. he just in the tournament. I mean, that's my only like basis for this. It was just like not much dog. Oh no, I think you're sleeping on mm-hmm. Chet's dog rating. I will say. Um, and, and yeah, also yeah, with with Paolo, he uh, had arguably the most talent talented team in the nation. Ton of other really? guys. Really? So. It'll be really interesting to see how it shakes out. These guys will really be linked together for the rest of their career, and we might be looking down the line. Oh, maybe they should have gone with this guy. Maybe, maybe this team should have gone with that guy. Um, One thing we haven't mentioned is the Jalen Suggs Chet Holmgren connection. I don't know if you guys are aware of all this, but they were on this. They're both from Minneapolis. Um, They're on the same AAU teams. You know, Chet went to Gonzaga partially because Jalen went there, right? Was he mm-hmm. there? Yeah, he was there. And like so. they've yeah. been they've said multiple times like how well they played together in high school. They played together in the same high school team. Won I think they won the state championship. And they've said before they want to play together again. And you know, that's something there that could make up like chemistry that already exists can make up for like talent True. differences there. True. And so the magic might already be like, you know, yeah, we're gonna try to get Chet and just do that. I I, I don't know. I'm interested to see what yeah, happens on the draft. I, I almost hesitate to say it, but I feel like if I'm any one of these teams, I'm going to be happy with whatever I get. Because it seems like for the kind of discussions we typically hear about drafts where it's like, oh, yeah, no, Markel Fultz is a consensus number one pick. You know, it's like where there's like a clear hierarchy. Like it, it, it really reminds me of, I want to say last year's draft where it's, hey, man, like any top four team in the in last year's draft is really happy with who they got between Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley. Between even the Rossons, Rockets, the Rockets like Jalen Green too. You know, it's Cade, like don't forget about Cade. It's a good, good problem. Cade, <laughs> number one pick, obviously, <laughs> number one pick of the draft. Going right back up in order there, but like, yeah, I feel like if I'm any of these top three teams, I'm I'm just happy to be here. You know, like they're gonna get a good player regardless. But then again, I my I I brought up earlier about how, you know, you do draft for potential. There's an argument to draft for potential, right? You could draft a Jabari Parker. You know, it's like, who knows? It's 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 potential's potential for a reason. You know, it's what could be doesn't mean what is is what is. So, who who knows? You know, we we talk about Paulo maybe dropping, and why not he, why not Paulo for for pick one? He very well could be the best player of the draft in the draft. Think could be Sever Jabari. It's Man, draft's a crapshoot, dude. I don't know. <laughs> it's just a little precursor. I mean, draft is nine days away, so that means when we come at you next, we'll probably be recapping the uh, whatever happened in game six and or seven. Who knows if game seven will happen of the NBA Finals, and we'll be right at the beginning of, well, I guess at the tail end of draft preparation. So we'll be coming to mm-hmm. you next week with that, unless... Uh, well, actually, no, my bad. Not to, not to cut it off. No, we got to read last week's Q&A and poll. Of course, the housekeeping. Yeah, we can't miss it. Move these <laughs> at the end of the episode, and I don't want to forget. So starting off with the Q&A, 
I guess this was in reaction to game two. Uh, would you have ejected Draymond Green? Why or why not? Uh, Matt Correa said, I would have ejected Draymond like eight times. I would have given him the Saduk Sedekupal technical. Oh, the 16th? Oh, I suppose so, yeah. I'm a certified Draymond oh, unenjoyer. Oh. A very fair take. Uh, yeah. And then the uh, the poll. Thank you, Matt. Uh, so, again, this is through two games, so, so let this uh, be in your mind when you're thinking about the answers. Uh, who has been the biggest finals de- disappointment so far? Uh, the voters voted uh, Clay Thompson as the biggest disappointment through two games. Uh, you could probably make the argument that he still has been, even though he's. I think he's played very well uh, coming back from mm. it. Uh, you could say Jason Tatum, maybe the biggest finals disappointment so far. You could, know. He, he got sure. a vote as well in this. So even through two games, uh, the voters knew, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, yeah. I, I think Clay did have a lot of negative press coming out. I'm panning him at the beginning of this, the, this finals matchup because. Well, well, spoke for itself, especially through three games. I remember like Clay just something did not look right for him. And then what did he like? He bathed in the Bay of San Fran to like spiritually get himself right. Whatever it is, it's it's working for him. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I remember there's some like like serious woof moments. We're not talking like dog stat woof. And like no. in game three, they had him in like late in the fourth quarter just to try and get stuff going. And he was like breaking threes and oh 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 geez clay i feel like he's been that guy like the last couple of games for them oh he definitely has oh 100 right there with you dunk yeah he's been very good um see if he can keep it up in game six of the finals game six of the finals game is six going clay. To he said he's mm. been never been more excited to go to boston so that is uh that is on thursday thursday june 16th that game will be at 9 p.m if there is a game seven that will be on Sunday. So uh, watch out for those games, and then we should be coming at you again next week with, you know, finals recap, draft prep, and then, you know, we'll be starting the offseason. Some exciting stuff I'm sure we'll be up to then. So for now, thank you uh, for tuning in to episode 13, and uh, we'll catch you next time.